they are loved, they are hated. In two years, they are all dead. Welcome to this episode of Remedial Studies Robots. Today we're going to be talking about the beautiful and somewhat maddening The Wicked and the Divine by Kieran Gillen, Jamie McKelvey, uh, their colorist whose last name is Wilson, and their letter, whose last name is Cows. Uh, we will be talking about spoilers. Oh yeah, we got to talk about spoilers in this up, y'all. I'm sorry, but there's so much. <laughs> yeah, and we're going to be talking about everything that's currently been published in this series. So not just volume one, or I'm sorry, not just book one, but also book one and two. And I think book one and two cover everything. Yes, I would agree with you. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. This is an expansive series. So even though it really only covers, we're only like a, a halfway through. We're at the halfway mark mm-hmm. in in the plot. Because in two years, they'll be dead. We just hit year two. Yes. So very exciting. It's interesting that you can make two years. So they made one year stretch out over two years. Right, I, I, I think the, we're into the 30s as far as like number of issues. I can give a little. I can give a little plot summary. Not really a plot summary because I think it's too complicated Maybe to give a summary. Would be better. Yeah, we're we're gonna give you a premise. So uh, essentially, this is in an alternate world where every 90 years, some teenagers basically become become avatars i feel like that's an appropriate word Mm -hmm. they become avatars of gods which are called it's this process is called or these people are called the pantheon uh so they get cool powers they do get dope shit and cool powers yeah this all seems great until you have to come to terms with the fact that they are as i said in uh the beginning there they're gonna die in two years so basically you have hormonal teenagers with superpowers uh running around uh and dealing with the fact that they are gonna die so they're a little uh reckless and they have a chip on their shoulder and basically they are all pop stars Mm -hmm. in this so they hold gigs they're commercialized like they're presented, a lot of people in the comic think that it's just uh, a um, marketing scheme and that, like, they're not really gods. It's just, you know, they're, you know, rock gods or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of people are like, oh, it's just a clever scheme and good special effects. Right. But we know we that know, it's... We know better. Yes, we we know better. Or do we? I mean... Do, we, do any of us really? Yeah. Uh, basically, we're upset because Kieran Gillen pulled some shit on the last page. Oh my god. And it was the classic last page plot twist fucking, like, bait and switch. Where you've, you've had the, these assumptions the whole entire series. And... It's just like every it, it's one change and one secret revealed that just completely obliterates everything you thought you knew about the series, 
and it's like that is as a person who likes to imagine that they write that is so hard to do that is so hard to do and to pull off so convincingly as he did that like i'm angry i'm also impressed but i'm pissed about it yeah i'm going back and i'm second guessing like everything that i've ever known like when did this happen what caused this what behind the scenes because that's the whole thing we don't okay so what happened was um because i do want to talk about the implications this has from a storytelling standpoint what happened was the pantheon has a seemingly immortal sort of guide that helps them through the recurrence and helps them learn their powers and also uh, essentially calls each of the people who are chosen to be an avatar um and her name is um i've been saying anarchy or anarchy i think either one is fine it's it's um but she is killed by persephone who is the 13th member of this pantheon I don't know that she's technically Pantheon because she's – that's where it also gets complicated because she's the destroyer and the, I think the Pantheon is technically supposed to fight her, but that's not working out. Who really out. knows at this point? Yeah, I'm super confused by the plot sometimes. Not super confused, but also just like what is just – it's – there's a lot going yeah, on, Yeah, and guys. I think there's a lot in the in – the, in the series that even they're like like the other people the characters in the book will often be like wait what (laughs) so i think a lot of it is on purpose of them just Mm -hmm. of him just being like how clever can we be (laughs) (laughs) before people are like this is too much so uh one of the pantheon the youngest member of the pantheon is minerva who is meant to be um, an avatar for athena and she or minerva if you're roman i guess but she uh (laughs) is she's gifted with this almost like superhuman intelligence she's got this like super cool robotic owl that's like her eye in the sky but uh it is revealed on the last like three pages of the most recent volume of this series that anarchy has been using has been essentially inhabiting her question mark for an let's say an indeterminate time and she has uh, there's this whole thing where she has to have like the five like four severed heads of members of the pantheon and like these three people who were killed it's lucifer tara and oh what was what was their name is it inanna yeah um inanna yes who um she is now keeping alive through some indeterminate means of uh in order to it's almost like you can't really take it seriously and i think that's on purpose because it's all about holding back the darkness and it's always like random capitals and everything's so dramatic that you almost like can't take it seriously i think part of it is that we've transplanted this major struggle for good and evil with these with the gods which is which is not um Mm -hmm. That's a story I think we like and will suspend disbelief for in other contexts. Like if you put it in the in the correct time period, people will be like, okay, sure. But having transplanted that to the modern day with pop celebrities, I think is where it's kind of like elbow, elbow. And even the characters in it are like, 
that's not a real thing. Like, the, the fight against the great darkness just doesn't feel as relevant these days. Yeah, because there, there really is no great darkness to fight against in the modern age. That That isn't more existential. Like, it's not literal. Does that make sense? Right. Like, there are literal, like, shadowy electric monsters popping up. It's not, like, gross political stuff. It's, like, actual. Yeah, it's, like, it's a very literal, like, wrath of God type stuff. Yeah. I think you're right. It's the transplanting of that, of this struggle and this story that has taken place for thousands of years into the modern age with pop icons and rock gods who are all over their Instagrams and who have these legions of fans that they 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 seem so untouchable that that it's almost like oh that's that's not a thing that can exist now like like it's one of those things where you I'll suspend my disbelief but only so far like right and 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 like you said even the other characters in the book are like are you serious this sounds like bullshit like like this isn't a thing that can happen and that's a big hurdle that I think a lot of them need to get over and are still getting over at the point we are in the published comics before they can really face this threat head on and we don't even really know what it is yeah it's just the great darkness yeah, which it, is vague it's vague it's vague it's shadowy it's myth- it's mythological <laughs> so <laughs> but yeah i have very 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 much enjoyed this this whole series i enjoy it for a lot of the same reasons i enjoyed uh kieran gillian's run on young avengers which he did for marvel now a couple years ago and i mean the first volume is called style style is greater than substance <laughs> so i think that's really like informative of him but he he's i think more well known for taking on these like groups and being very good at giving everyone very distinct personalities that are often in conflict with each other in ways that have no real bearing on the overall story at first <laughs> but then i really really love i talked about this in our board meeting i really like how he writes loki who's a character that you can take in a lot of different ways just look at the mcu he does america chavez really really well and like just just all these di- the, he's really good he's very established um i think he writes for x-men as well like he he's really good at making these very what could be very crowded kind of stories still feel very uh, like they flow very very well there's a certain kind of flow to wicked in the divine that i like yes and it might just be based on like the whole premise like that slow and steady just march of time that sort of defines a lot of the issues that the that the pantheon face in regards to that prophecy that that begins at every recurrence in two years you'll be dead so I don't know. I I think my big thing with this series, my big my big quote unquote analyzing literary thing. <laughs> I do not pretend to understand what anybody intends in comics anymore. But like the idea of um, deification of celebrities 
and how celebrity has changed over the course of human history and like the moment of celebrity that we're in now particularly with music and pop stars and and things like that and how how celebrity has changed i have a theory influenced what kind of art the pantheon practices in every recurrence they they did a whole mini series that talks about um oh, i think it was five or six of the different pantheons at different moments usually at the moment of their downfall like the last one leads into the opening of issue one which is the end of the 1920s recurrence uh, where they all sort of commit suicide and they're like well this is what we're doing holding back the darkness and then it switches to laura in the middle of like london just trying to get through in the 1920s it was all like james joyce and langston hughes um the norns were in that pantheon and they were uh george orwell hg wells and aldous huxley <laughs> which i thought was very fun and there's like neptune who's based on ernest hemingway and he like is really made to resemble captain nemo from Twenty Thousand leagues under the sea and like all this just other so much is based on the the art particularly the novels and the paintings and everything that were being created in that period as well as this is uh, that pantheon specifically is where we start to see like the silent era film start to come in which i'm very curious this is kind of a branch i'm treeing <laughs> one of the things that i was very interested in is what would an, a recurrence in like the 80s look like oh and like that era of like music and action movies and like things like that I just want a Marty McFly god. Is that too much to ask? Like, I shouldn't ask for it. Please, please boo me. I'm wrong. No, because he could totally be um, Hermes. He could. Done. Send Done. me a check. Where's our spinoff? <laughs> Send me my check, Image Comics. But I wanted to kind of hear your thoughts on that because that's, I think, sort of a broader topic where I know you really want to talk about Tara is how do we treat celebrities and the the metaphorical pedestal that we put people on it's weird because we're in an age of seemingly infinite connection with twitter instagram uh, especially snapchat previously i think celebrities were seen as these sort of aloof gods like you remember do you remember back when there was like sections in tabloids and it was like oh the stars really are like us and now you can see like chrissy Teigen just doing laundry on her on her instagram like that era of that aloofness is gone and everything for better or for worse is starting to become i don't want to say more transparent because i don't think that's true but like the idea that the idea of an image has taken on a very, very different meaning, I think, in the age of this constant social media and constant public presence that is sort of now more necessary to be any kind of celebrity. Uh, I mean, look at SoundCloud rappers. It's, it, it's that kind of thing where anybody can be anything, but at what cost? Kieran Gillen said in the beginning of one of the volumes that this is a, a comic about image and iconography. Mm -hmm. And I get that because everywhere you look, when you look at these characters, they have a very distinct style. And I think that's kind of what you 
that kind of harkens back to what you're saying about how he can write a group really well and make everybody distinct. Like, I started, I paid more attention in my second read-through, and I started noticing, like, their symbols are everywhere. They they have a color palette. Each character has a color palette. Mm-hmm. Each character has a particular style. Uh, like, Inanna is Prince. Yes. I would say. I would say that's true. Minerva, I'm not sure. She, like, sort of follows a David Bowie type vibe, but I'm not 100% sure I'm right on that. See, I actually got that from Lucifer because of, like, the white suit, the hair, like, like, oh. see, like, I think it's, um, it's something, something, white gentleman. I'll think of it as soon as oh. we're done recording. But, like, oh. but, like, you know what I mean? Like, that, that very, um, the more poppy side of glam rock is, is very much what I got from her. No, you're right. I've gotten I've gotten everything. I'm not good at this stuff. I will say not this particular thing anyway. <laughs> so Minerva, did you get Okay, do you get Michael Jackson then for Minerva? I know that's like on a whole different end of the spectrum cuz she's wearing like the structured jackets, the like military jackets and gloves. I could see that. I could see Michael Jackson from her. I get a lot of Florence Welch from Emma Emma I cannot say this this poor girl's name. Amat Arasu? Amat Arasu? The one who's, like, obsessed with Japan. Yeah. And then I get a lot of, particularly my dark, twisted fantasy era, Kanye West from Ball. Yes. And, like, the R&B rap. Like, how the, the very sort of in-your-face image that that particular era of Kanye West kind of had. Another thing that we might want to mention about Lucifer, her original name was Eleanor Rigby. Well, right. Her parents were super big Beatles fan. But also, Eleanor Rigby is like a messed up song. It's sad as hell. Yeah. Yeah, it's about that spinster dying alone and she keeps her face in a jar. Like, that song's always made me uncomfortable. I'm not going to not in a bad way, but in like. But yeah, it's a tragedy. Yeah, but I never found it cathartic. I always found it deeply uneasing. Never cathartic. The Norse through lines are really messing me up now that I'm thinking about it. <laughs> this is, no, this is like a thing with this series that I think is really good and really important to highlight. It's not simple, but it's deceptively flat. And then you start to think about it, and you start going deeper and deeper and deeper into the real and legitimate work that has been put into it and it's like you're just you're like where is the bottom like you just have to keep digging i really like a lot of the women in this series but not because they're good no like do you know what i mean i really enjoy how it's not a series that's afraid to have fucked up women and I think the best example, the most classic example, is, is the Morrigan, who's fucked and beats her boyfriend and is just like, like, obviously she's like, she's a triumvirate goddess. She's threefold. She is all this other crap and very split personality in a very typical way that is not at all reflective of an actual personality disorder. But like her and Bafomet. 
Baphomet, excuse me, who's not really that guy, which I thought was an interesting kind of mini plot twist. How he's not, he's Nurgle, I think. Yeah, but he didn't want to be Nurgle. He didn't want to be Nurgle. It was too much pressure to be Nurgle, so he decided to be a made-up, a god the Masons made up? Am I messing? Somebody made him up. Some secret society allegedly made up. Um, yeah, here it is. Uh, he was, it was the Knights Templar. They're, like, the same as the Masons. I don't actually know. Pretty um, much. I th- hasn't, hasn't Baphomet been integrated into, like, the modern cult of, uh, Church of Satan? I probably... I, I want to say, God, I want to say that that's real. I don't know. Yeah, the symbol was later adapted by the Church of Satan in 1969 and officially named the Sigil of Baphomet. Well, there you go. But yeah, it, it, it was too much pressure, which I thought was so funny. One of the art pieces I really, really enjoy is the like falling into the costume thing that they yes. do when they get called. Yes. And the the one for for Nurgle was so funny because he like drops down. He's on this big throne. There's flames. He's got like this leather jacket with no shirt on underneath, and these shades. What a look! What a look! It's a look. It's a look that he keeps up the rest of the series. That he immediately is like uh, a port mission. <laughs> yeah, because he has um he has like lions all over his stuff, and then but the it, you never see the lions except for in the scene where he ascends, and then it gets mm-hmm. replaced by like the goat horns and stuff. So yeah, the goat horns and like the very what suburban moms were afraid their kids were getting into when they played D and D, like. Like, like that kind of shit. <laughs> oh, D&D kids aren't that cool, but it's okay. Dude, no, we weren't that, like, no one's, no one who plays D&D is that cool. And, yeah, even, even now that D&D is kind of cool, like, it's that's still not, not that cool. No, it's not, like. It, it's not cool in that way. It's, it's like, oh, I've made better and more permanent relationships with my friends. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> that, I don't know that that's cool. Cool. I mean, it's friendship is always cool, Hannah. Okay, 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 okay. okay. <laughs> um, All but anyway, right. But anyway, I guess I what I enjoy is because I think this is a problem with a lot of comics and a lot of literature in general. To be fair, is people, for better or for worse, want to play into a lot of very gendered expectations. Because they don't want to take the risk of being accused of something or whatever. Like I said, we're kind of in an age of call-out culture, for better or for worse right now. Probably mostly for worse. Uh, Well, I mean, you should definitely call out people if they're, like, Nazis or something. Like, please call those people out. But some stuff, it's just like, mm. At least in this series, we have lots of diverse characters with lots of different... We have lots of different races we have different gender expressions we have Mm -hmm. different sexualities we have all sorts of stuff and i think that's really fun to see in a comic or just in media in general yeah i mean like then one of the major several major members of the pantheon identify on like the the trans and non-binary spectrums which is not something you see in a lot of mainstream comics these days or anywhere these days, to be fair. 
and like there's like i said like the main uh female character who's sort of like the point of view character for a really long time is mixed race it it is so refreshing to see such a colorful world because that is something that i think i think people avoid trying stuff like that sometimes and i'm i can't really talk shit because i'm kind of one of them people avoid avoid integrating stuff like that into their work if they're a creator who is white i feel i actually don't know if kieran if kieran gillen's white but um they they, they're afraid to do the attempt because they're afraid of screwing up and there's something so fearless about kieran's work that just goes against that kind of thinking and i think maybe that's what i really really like about the kind of worlds that he builds is that ultimately it is in the end reflective of like the real world like diversity is not for its own sake it's just truth like london which is where most of this takes place is like the one of the most diverse racially diverse cities in the world yeah and i remember this was this was a long time ago but i remember i don't think they used wicked and the divine as an example but the the contrasting example was bbc sherlock Bleh. I haven't even seen BBC Sherlock. I didn't have that rite of passage, so. Well, here's the thing. Here's my whole thing. <laughs> Someone made a good point, I think. Someone made, like, a 90-minute video, which I admire. <laughs> That's some dedication. It was. It was so dedicated of people who, basically, like, a 90-minute video that explained why Sherlock sucks. <laughs> because, spoiler alert, it, it, it kind of does. And why that was not seen or accepted when it originally aired. And a lot of it has to do with how the the fan base was majority, and I would say continues to be, majority yo- younger female. We, certainly myself, I will count myself among them, we weren't equipped to understand and to differentiate when something just sounds smart and there's no <laughs> substance underneath it. The difference between something like that and Wicked and the Divine is it has that exterior and then when you break through it is unfathomably deep sometimes it's a bit like they use the underground as a bit of a metaphor for things uh every once in a while but and and how like that's how persephone sort of mm, that thing butterflies do metamorphosis yes um, and how she has to, like, go into the underground and, like, be in the earth as Persephone, the destroyer, before she can rise and sort of take her place. You can have the really pretty, very smart, very snappy exterior and have it be sort of a red herring for something deeper that's going on. That's how you get really, really successful reveals, like what happened at the end of the newest volume. Where you've realized this whole thing that you've been building on. She literally, like, sits on a throne of lies. Like, it... I don't even know. Uh, but I do want to talk about, briefly, while we're talking about the newest ep- the newest issue, uh, about Woden. Oh! <laughs> Speaking of plot twists. Speaking of plot twists. I, I did not see this coming. this one. I thought we had it all figured out. The Norns thought they had it all figured out. I'm like, it's the Norns. They know what they're doing. Yeah, they know. They're the Norns. Uh, and in the lead up to the reveal that Minerva is Anarchy, it is revealed that Woden, who is presented as a member of the Pantheon, is in fact not. He's he's not a god. 
He's not actually Odin, One-Eye, All-Father. He's a journalist, isn't he? If I'm remembering who this dude is correctly. He's an academic, so even worse. Yes. Yeah, he was the guy (laughs) that Laura had beef with at Ragnarok. There's academic research on the on the pantheon from an anthropology standpoint and other standpoints and he was one of he's a pantheon expert and he has like a weird relationship with anandke i don't know i'm just this is the day that i we just mess up i just mess up the the names are hard there's it's Mm -hmm. i'm sorry i'm apologizing now but anyway her and, like, she writes that she loves him in that letter. And I was like, what is going on? This got really gross suddenly. This is how you play into a premise. I never once questioned that we didn't see his face because I just thought it was a Daft Punk reference. Right, right. So it, it talks about it's a Daft Punk reference. He tried to give himself powers and he says that it exploded in his face and he's just terribly disfigured and mm-hmm. even even his valkyries are like oh what's on the one is like when they ask you what's under that she's like oh you don't want to know but she must not really know because yeah. it's just this dude and the interesting thing is that the real member of the pantheon is actually not woden but mimmer i don't know if i'm pronouncing that right that's either. My, that's my best guess mimmer Mimir? Maybe. Those crazy Norse. Those crazy Norse and their vowels. It's so weird because I, in the myth, uh, Woden, Odin, carries around Mimir's head and it whispers secrets to him. So, like, secret and his knowledge. his head comes off. His yeah. head screws off. I can't. Like, it's so weird. But he, uh, it's his son, John Blake, who was turned into a god against his will and essentially imprisoned. Mm-hmm. For purposes that I would assume are going to be revealed in the next arc, I hope so. Like, we talked about this, how now it's to the point where I'm like, do I get the monthly issues? Because I want to know. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, I'm like, do I need to go down to the comic store? Because the whole time, like, the, and that's the the deceit. The deceit runs so deep because even in Odin's monologues, Woden's monologues, mm-hmm. which are generally, and I think this is an interesting inversion of that convention because monologues are usually the character coming, or I'm sorry, I'm thinking of soliloquies. I have messed yes, up my I terms. I think you are thinking of a soliloquy, but I know what you're talking about. In a soliloquy, traditionally, that is the character coming clean to the audience. Exactly. It, it's like the it's like the to be or not to be, the whole like is this a dagger I see before me? Like like Shakespeare's chock full of them of the characters like making a connection with the audience, being like, "Haha, you're in on it." Richard the Third is also a great example where it's played more for laughs, and so you can be like, "Haha, isn't the rest of my family an idiot?" Because I have tricked all of them into thinking I'm not evil. And I think there's a lot of characters in Wicked and the Divine that can kind of do, we can talk about a lot in regards to things like this, where they are very real in an uncomfortable way. Yeah, there are some deeply flawed characters in this series. Like, I don't think anybody in the Pantheon doesn't have 
some serious, serious personality issues. Uh, one yeah. of the characters that I really wanted to talk about because I felt like it fits with some of the themes we like to focus on in the show, which is the idea as the female celebrity as like a heightened version of what all women experience in a way and to talk about Tara because she gets her own issue because she's not in most of the comic except very tangentially or like as an Mm -hmm. illusion like they say like quote unquote they call her fucking Tara like with that level of disgust and it's just that You know, Tara, it it was interesting because Tara was super into, she was playing music. She wanted to be a performer and perform her own music before she ascended. Now that she's ascended, there's certain music that she can play with her god powers that creates the, like, euphoria and the excitement and the satisfaction and the catharsis in the crowd. Mm -hmm. But if she tries to play her own music that she writes as herself the person she was before she ascended they hate it they boo her they do not like it and her whole life tara has had that struggle that many women have as being seen only as an object as something to be consumed and as a pop icon the the consumption the desire to consume i feel like only intensifies and gets a hundred times grosser you have in a sense, been commodified. Yeah, I would agree with that. And that makes the idea of consumption more acceptable. It's not really more acceptable, but it makes it seem more acceptable to the general public. Like, you're no longer a person. You are now a commodity. I think with Tara being a woman and being a physically desirable woman who is trying to make art and be seen as a person and not a commodity, it ultimately leads her to commit assisted suicide, Mm -hmm. which is a really painful scene because it felt so avoidable. I know. I think a lot of what upset me about Tara was nothing to do with how she killed herself, but the public reaction after it. Right, because it shows something really cool that they do in this comic is incorporate the social media aspect. Mm -hmm. And there's like a page of tweets that she is receiving after she has a performance where she tries to play her own music. And it causes a riot because people are so upset, I think. And Mm -hmm. everyone is being really nasty to her. Men are telling her, like, their sexual fantasies about her. Yeah, there's a lot of of death threats, a lot of rape threats, a lot of just nasty, nasty, nasty stuff that women face every day. And that's real. That's what I'm saying. Like, that is a thing. That's not made up. That's not because she's a deity. That's not because of anything. That is because she is a woman, and that is a thing that women experience. The other thing is that they show the tweets after she dies Mm. as well, and it's a complete change in tone. I don't even know. I don't even know. It's it's a lot, and I I think that uh, there's a lot of strength in that kind of storyline because it really kind of does make 
the pantheon more i don't want to say more human but definitely more real like more fleshed out like oh these really are teenagers trapped in the bodies of these of these really powerful beings and for some of them they adjust and for some of them they don't and tara was the one that never did and it's it's even like kind of touched on in a couple of different gods that they're on a roller coaster that only goes down and it's it's almost insinuated in a lot of the different stories of the different pantheons that that's a normal thing that happens yeah imperial face <laughs> yeah exactly like like that is yeah exactly that's a good point i was just reading today about the uh, the october revolution so that's timely exactly like, there's like the the rising action the faustian act the faust act excuse me which is a delightful pun on first act that christopher marlowe would be very proud of and <laughs> um and this whole idea is that eventually you will have to pay the piper yeah, uh, I think Laura is the one who really, I mean, she's Faust. She's Faust because she, I mean, and she's Lucifer. So there you go. These illusions will just kick you in the knees. They're really great. They are really good. What There's like a, I feel like, is there a Dungeons and Dragons ones? Because I feel like there was, but. My alignment is chaotic fuck up. That's the one. And I'm like, I need this on a poster. I need this on a t-shirt. I need this as my phone case. I need it as everything. <laughs> because my alignment is indeed chaotic fuck up. Yeah, that was the choice. That, that was, was, choice that was the choice D&D pun. The reference that was made. That's the ideal, though. Chaotic fuck up. Is it the ideal or is it just what happens? It's just what happens, I think. I think it really is just what happens. But yes, so to synthesize our, th- our thoughts... On Wicked and the Divine. I think part of what makes me very compelled by this series and what obviously keeps me coming back for more is uh the, the clothes. The, no. Well, <laughs> that's true. The clothes oh the illustrate the art is so gorgeous. Like I feel like we've been talking so much about the writing because that's a lot of what you can discuss without people having to see it. But the art is so good. It's so gorgeous. They get awesome guest artists too. Um, like for the the issue where they did the um they did like an editorial magazine, uh, they had Kevin Wada, who is an excellent excellent comic book artist, uh, come in and do an illustration as if they were all like gone to a photo shoot, like it was Vogue or some shit. Uh, one of the thing that I really like, just straight up like, about Wicked in the Divine is that it it has a great balance between having something to say and just being plain old fun and that is something that i think people think are incompatible sometimes Mm -hmm. or people think you cannot do both at the same time and i think some of that might come from the whole like people thinking serious literature is incompatible with like stuff that's enjoyable and granted a lot of stuff that we we've talked about this again ad nauseum but a lot of the stuff that is considered classic or is in the canon or an- anything like that. A lot of it isn't there because it it's good. It's there because it's important or it serves as, a, as an avatar for like the best example of a particular um, movement in literature or something like that. So I, th- I think with, with, with really good writing that really, really has something to say, people think that it can't also just be about a bunch of dumb rock god kids who are in over their heads and try to figure it out and fail miserably. <laughs> yeah, uh, 
being serious and having something to say doesn't mean you have to make the reader suffer. Cough, cough. Nathaniel Hawthorne, cough, cough. Oh my god, I hate Nathaniel Hawthorne. I hate him. Yeah, he's awful. Um, anyway, yeah, I mean, I really like this series because it's beautiful to look at. It's mm-hmm. interesting. It's one of I don't reread a lot. That's changing as I get older and my memory becomes progressively poorer very quickly. And I I really enjoyed rereading it and it felt fresh to me even though I had just literally read the whole series last year. Mm-hmm. But it didn't feel boring or stale or I'm like, oh, I have to read this for the podcast and I just read it and everything's so boring and predictable. It felt, it was exciting again. There are so many details, so many things to look at. You know, you start paying attention and some of the same people start showing up in the backgrounds of panels. Yes. And they pull that out. They're like, Inanna, Inanna was in the background of Laura calling out the academic guy who ended up being Woden. Uh-huh. And, and just things like that. Where it, and that was before he ascended. Obviously, like, we would have seen, like, this avatar of Prince in the background. Yeah, he's there noticeable. Anana especially. I love that about them. But yeah, so this series is one of my favorites. Not not necessarily because of the deep, deep meanings. I will be straight with you. But because it's it's so fun. The premise is so exciting. And I think we're both super into literature. Not necessarily literature, but media about godhood and what it means to be a god and yeah. what belief means and what faith means yeah i mean you know you sit me down and you ask me to talk about american gods and i'll just go for like 900 years yeah so with american gods and also terry pratchett mm-hmm. talks about it a little bit so just the the whole idea of what what a god is and what that means in a cultural sense and how that has evolved over time i feel like is a fun and exciting thing for me just from like to watch from the sidelines and be like yes you get me kieran gillen or you get me jamie McKelvey about like what is a god supposed to look like and be and it's it's incredibly fashionable just fyi yes yes <laughs> yes <laughs> you what is the point if you're not dope as fuck All right, robots, that's going to do us for this episode of Remedial Studies. We thank you for sticking with us through a lot of the technical and life difficulties that kept our dulcet tones from your iTunes feeds for uh, almost four weeks now. Life's a lot sometimes, but we get through it. Um, We're back. We're very glad to be back to regularly scheduled episodes. Our next episode is going to be on... Madeline Langle's A Wrinkle in Time. Uh, we're only doing the first book. It is, uh, if, we're, if we are remembering correctly, it is a quintet of books. We're only going to be talking about the first one, mostly because I have to reread it um, <laughs> behind the scenes. But uh, we are very much looking forward to getting the show back on track. We know it's a thing we do for free on the internet, but it's nice to do. And it's something that we really enjoy. And the fact it, that anybody stuck long enough to listen to this stuff and there was like mostly it's like people i'm friends with but like there was a couple of people who were like hey you guys missed an episode is everything okay like 
that means a lot and it's not something we ever expect but it is something that means an awful lot uh so if you would like to get in touch with us on any of our various social medias do you have an idea of what godhood should be let us talk about it we're on twitter at remedial studies we're on tumblr remedial studies you can send us an email at remedial studies podcast at gmail.com that's pretty much it um i keep thinking we should get an instagram but i'm not entirely sure what we'd put on it except for like fake deep aesthetic posts yeah i feel and like memes. that might be a trap did you say in and and and, and memes oh memes the, <laughs> the, like, the aesthetic post would be you the memes would be me I, I was wondering, like, are we going to post pictures of steak? I'm deeply confused. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, we will not. It's the memes. <laughs> but what uh, is most important is that you guys have a good Tuesday. And if you're not listening to this when it comes out, have a good day. Do something you love. Read something you like. Please read this comic. Please read it. It's so good. It's just gearing up for what looks to be a very, very big arc that they're getting going to get into but you have time. You always have time to jump in and just catch up and please come yell at us about it. We're always ready. Uh, but until next time, um, we will see you. You will not see... Well, no. We will not see you. You will not see us. But you will hear us <laughs> next time. <laughs> Bye, robots! <laughs>